this morning is really down to our everyday lives together. This isn't just something that Paul, he said, well, let's see what should I write about now. I think you're going to see that he is talking about this ever since chapter 1. He has carried this theme forward to this passage. And this really, I think, nails it. He nails what he is really preaching in Romans. Now, we're going to read that, and you're going to think, I don't really understand that. Well, since I'm a preacher at heart, an exhorter at heart, I'll help you out. Romans 15, 1-7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not just a dusty old scroll hidden in a cave, but it's living and it's been passed down to us. We thank you for those who have been faithful to share with us the truth so that we might have life, so that we might know Jesus Christ, our God and Father, the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can open this word and that we are not just ignorant people with a dusty old book, but that you count us as very high in your estimation. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Now as we open up this word and seek to have the Holy Spirit anoint my words and thoughts, not that they're mine, they're yours. Allow us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Building each other up. I think that that is what Paul is talking about here. Just a very simple, hidden little phrase in these words. But he is very pointedly, he has someone in mind. And as we said before, who he was preaching to, who he had written this letter to, is very much like the people of MCC. 
internationals, except for a little difference. There were Jews and Gentiles, and there was a sharp distinction about just Jews. Those people knew who they were. Gentiles were all the rest of those pagans and those people that for one reason or another were drawn to come to, to Rome. They were ragtag people that the Romans had captured or had conquered them and they had come because they had some business in Rome. And I don't know why you came to Japan. Some of you were born here, that's why you came to Japan. (laughs) But some of us are just immigrants or we're aliens or in the old days, they used to call us gaijin. I don't hear that anymore. (laughs) Did we lose our status? (laughs) Well, I don't feel too bad about losing that. But anyway, that's who I am. I can't help it. I can't change my looks. I can't change my certificate, birth certificate. I'm a gaijin. But Paul is talking about some very practical issues of serving one another. Now, we read the scripture and it said, pleasing. But I looked up that word and it actually means serving. So I've taken the liberty, I'm not a Bible translator, but I've taken the liberty to put serving in there when I show you the verses that have changed here. Second point is he is talking about endurance and encouragement. Very important point. And then he's talking about glorifying God. So let's go. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to serve ourselves. Let each of us serve his neighbor for his good to build him up For Christ did not serve himself. As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Okay, so you can see where I put the word serving in there. Let each of us serve his neighbor for his good to build him up. Really, this is the whole purpose of church. It's not for talk to play his guitar and lead us in a new song that actually, that was a pretty good song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have a melody, but... (laughs) But the words were good. (laughs) The purpose of church is to build one another up. And those words built me up. They focused on my relationship with the Lord. And that's what this is all about. You know, that's what we really are here for. It's not to just uh, sit here and look at the back of somebody's head. No, this this is for building one another up. So that we might be the people of God. We need that. 
Because, you know, the world tears us down. We go out there and there's criticism, criticism, criticism. The church should not be about that. It shouldn't be tearing down. It should be building up. That's what Paul is asking us to do. Paul also wrote in Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What kind of a person are you? Are you a hand that reaches out and touches someone and say, I care about you. I was thinking about you today. Are you an arm that goes and puts your arm around your wife and <laughs> encourages her? Thanks for that good illustration there too, Doc. You're really helping me. Are you a shoulder? Are you someone that really takes on someone else's burden and knows how to lift them up and carry them through? We need each other. We're different parts of the body. We're the body of Christ. And I couldn't wave my hand like this without my forearm or my shoulder. We need each other. We all have a purpose in the body of Christ. That's why Paul refers to us as the church, as the body of Christ. He, speaking of Jesus, has gone to the Father and he asked the Father, would you send the Spirit to my people, my brothers and sisters who need to be built up and need to understand that it's the same Spirit that motivated me that will motivate them and allow them to be the parts that will build one another up. We are a body. Makes the body grow so that it builds up itself if every part is working properly. Christ did not serve himself. And here's where we get into what I think Paul was talking about Paul was referring to a verse which was very familiar to the Christians, I think, in Psalm 69, 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Paul said in that, he just quoted the, the last part of that verse. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me as we have read. Some of you want to check your Bibles and look and see that Paul didn't quote the whole verse. And I wonder why he didn't quote the whole verse. Because I think it was important to him that the disciples, yes, they had remembered the zeal of the Lord has consumed me. Do you remember where that happened? The disciples distinctly remembered there was a verse in, in Psalm that says, the zeal of the Lord has consumed me. What was the occasion? It was the occasion 
when Jesus saw that there was a crowd of people, a people who were actually responsible for the temple and temple worship, that were more or less defiling the Lord, reproaching him, blaspheming him. They were not true worshipers. Let's read about this. John 2, 13 to 17. When the Jewish Passover was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves. Those were the animals and birds that were to be sacrificed. And he found money changers seated at their tables. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? His disciples remembered, It is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. That's what the disciples remembered. But Paul, when he was writing this letter, he remembered the whole verse. That the reproach that was against you is against me. And so Jesus took the time to weave together a whip. Now, it wasn't like the whip that several years later, a couple of years later, Jesus would feel on his back. A Roman whip with little pieces of steel in it and bound with leather. And it would tear on his back as he was whipped by a Roman whip. No, that wasn't Jesus' whip at all. What his whip was, it was made of reeds. Because he made it in the temple there. He didn't go down to the marketplace uh, I'd like to order a, a Roman whip, please. <laughs> no, he saw what was going on there. And picking up some of the straw in the reeds that they fed their animals on, he made and bound up a whip. Now, I'm a country boy. I was raised in Southern California when it was country, not city. I used to ride my horse. You know where Calvary Chapel the original Calvary Chapel was in Costa Mesa. That's where our farm was. And I used to ride my horse exactly on that field where Calvary Chapel was built. It's a very famous church. Of course, back in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> but with a, with a whip, the cows used to break out. Well, actually, my horse used to break out of the pen that we had him in. And until we got smart that we caught him at it. And he was so smart, he would stick his head over the, the gate and flip the latch, open it up, and just walk right up. And where would he go? He'd go down the road to our neighbor who had a bunch of cows. And he loved chasing those cows. <laughs> I would get so mad at him. His name was Pirate. <laughs> Should have named him Dove or something like that. Anyway, 
I would take an, a stick or a whip and I would, what are you doing? And the neighbor was about ready to shoot our horse. And so I'd bring him back and I was just so angry with him. And I'd hit him, not with a leather whip, but just with a stick I found on the ground in our apricot grove or just a piece of grass, anything. It made me so mad. Jesus did not hurt people. In fact, the whip that I made, I made it especially to show you what it's like to spank your horse. It didn't hurt him. It was just grass. It was just a stick, not a club, but it was to scare him. And I think that this is the picture that we have here. Jesus wasn't a violent man. There's nothing in the scriptures that speak of him being violent. In fact, we think of him as kind of, you know, just a gentle Jesus, meek and mild. No. Jesus had a core conviction in his life. And what he was dealing with was with people that were reproaching his father. And he wanted to clean out the temple. They were the people that were responsible for this place. But get this, and this is the reason why Paul puts this last phrase of Psalm 69 in there. Where was it that they had those animals in the temple? Anybody know? I thought immediately myself, but I also had it checked up where that was. And most of the commentators think it was in the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles. Okay, what does that mean? That means that any Gentile couldn't worship there because of all the stink and the dung and things that were laid there in that place, in that court. It was defiled. Well, who cares about the Gentiles anyway? That is what struck Jesus. That is why he came. And Israel should have known that that's where God's heart was, was for the world. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. Jesus died for every man, woman, and child. And these people because they were wanting money from selling and the animals and the doves that they, they had there, charging exorbitant prices. They did it right in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles. We don't want the Gentiles here anyway. So let's use it for animals. And let's use it to get money. And that's what was happening. And that's why Jesus said, Quoting Psalm 69. For zeal for the Lord has consumed me because his name is being reproached, is being blasphemed. And Israel was excluding the Gentiles. Why did Paul write Romans? Was it for the Jews? Was it for the Gentiles? It was for both. Both of them. 
That was Paul's heart. He was called to be a missionary, a servant to the Gentiles. So that's why Paul wrote that. Because of that reproach. And he, as a stalwart, well-bred Jew, had a burden and a heart for the nations. And we should too. And God does too. He cares about the Gentiles. He cares about you and I, who are excluded, really, except for the grace of Jesus Christ coming into our lives and bringing us in and making us worthy by his shed blood. But let's go on to our second point. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Right at the very heart of the gospel is endurance and encouragement. They're really partner qualities. They work hand in hand. You endure, someone comes by and says, I'm praying for you. Ah, you're encouraged. And it leads you to continue to endure, to continue going back to that job where you're having such a hard time. And you come back, and the body of Christ says, we're praying for you. We're concerned about your situation. That's what the body of Christ is doing. Enduring, encouraging. We all need that. Everyone needs to be encouraged. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, the assurance of things hoped for, that's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Have you ever thought of faith as endurance? Well, if you've got something that is out there that you're hoping for or you're longing for or you, you need in your life and you have an understanding that when you walk faithfully toward that goal, you achieve it. That's the definition of faith. Simple. But it is enduring. And that's what Paul is talking about. Interestingly enough, uh, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what we all need to hear, isn't it? Probably there's something that comes to your mind right now that you're struggling through and you want to know the answers for it. You want to see some results. Thank God for a writer like Paul. Thank God for the writer of Hebrews. And then let's focus on encouragement. It says that through encouragement, that word encouragement is parakletos, 
What does that sound, for those of you who know the Bible or know a little bit of Greek, what is that word, paracletus? Paracletus. Sounds like paraclete. Do you know what? That's the root word. Encouragement. Helper. The Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again the final days in which he was with his disciples. John 14, 26. But the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And then John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then Paul says in our text, mentions the God of endurance and encouragement. Two main attributes or characteristics of God that Paul is pointing out. Endurance and encouragement. Maybe you're going through a hard time and you don't know how you're going to get through it. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is the fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I spoke with a person this morning and he shared a verse with me and I suggested to him, why don't you take it and put it on your wall? And we kind of laughed and said, well, maybe we could just put a whole banner up there of a scripture that he had particularly talked about. That's what we need to do. Keep that in front of us to encourage us. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your steering wheel on your car. (laughs) Anywhere where it'll be right in your face to encourage you. We need that because he's the God of endurance and encouragement. Here's another one, Psalm 31.24. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Isn't that good? Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And you know what? There are hundreds of those kind of verses that you can take and apply them to your life. They may be verses that were given to someone in the scriptures, but you can borrow them for yourself. I challenge you to do that. Even to Mary, the angel said, fear not, I'm with you. And the Lord said this several times. Put that on your your mirror. Put that on your textbook. Remind yourself. Remind yourself, he's the God of endurance and encouragement, building up each other. And then finally, he's talking about glorifying God, that together you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All of this, all of our life should be for the glory of God. This morning is uh, communion. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. We do this on the first Sunday of every month. Not as a ritual, not as something that's just in the program, but it's a reminder of us of what Father God has done for us in the death of his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're together to be one voice, one action, one moving together in concert with one another as we take the the bread and the wine to glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we do with the communion is we're doing it together to build up our joy strength. We're synchronizing with one another in one action together. We're doing it together. We welcome you. We welcome you in Christ Jesus to join us in this remembrance for the glory of God. However, there is a caution. And I was reminded this week that we really haven't talked a lot about this here, but there is a caution in Scripture that Paul gave us of how we should take communion, how we should celebrate this. It's remembering Christ's death on the cross for us. And first of all, this communion that we have in this church, we don't require that you are a member of this church to participate with us. But we do require that you have a faith and a confession in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you have come to him and asked for his cleansing, for His him to come into your life and take reign of your life, rule in your life. And because you have done it on your own confession, you are welcome to participate in this with us. But if you have not done this in your life, we ask you to just let the elements, the the bread and the wine, pass to the next person. And when you are ready, when you are, you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and as your Savior, we welcome you. Please, if that's where you find yourself, as having confessed Jesus Christ as Savior, and maybe this is the first time you've been in our church, we're not judging you. We want to welcome you to participate with us and acknowledge that Jesus Christ and his shed blood for me has cleansed me from all my sin. That's what we're rejoicing in together. Because we're all sinners. We know we foul up every day in some way or another. Just by the fact that I'm a human being, I'm a sinner. But by the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. And I'm made righteous. So if there are some things that you've been struggling with and you're not really at a place of breaking through or really applying his grace to your life, you're mad at somebody, 
there's something that you got to make right, I'd ask you just just hold hold that and participate at another time. Paul says it this way. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the, the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself and in doing so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup.